Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Um, turn to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at several verses 25 to 30 that many of you are probably very familiar with. We're starting this two-part series for the One Desire Fast. Our theme is witness, which is the same theme that we've been talking about this whole year this whole ministry year about how we are witnesses of what God has done in our lives. And as we are experiencing him, as we are encountering him, then that allows us to what witness to other people, to show people who Jesus is, how great he is, and how amazing he is. Now, as we're going in this series, we're fasting together. It's going to be 11 days. I don't know how many of us are really excited about fasting. I know that when I do announcements, I'm like, how many of you excited? And you're like, woo. Right, and I'm like trying to get you, you know, like come on, fasting, pom poms, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but if we're honest with ourselves, like I don't think any of us are looking forward to fasting. I love food so much that I dread fasting. Like I dread fasting because I'm like, man, I can't eat food. I, I'm one of those like I live to eat. I don't eat to live. Those of you who are like I eat to live. I don't understand you. You need the gospel of food. All right. Um, but yeah, for many of us, it's just another Christian discipline. And some of us were like so like conniving or not conniving, but we're so like we count everything. We're like, oh, the fast this year it ends on Wednesday. Oh, it's shorter, shorter than the last couple of years. Praise the Lord. 11 days only. Anyone? OK, you don't want to expose yourselves. All right. But many of us, we just don't have this very positive view of fasting. We're not like, yes, I'm going to fast. And because why? It's, it's hard. It's difficult. It requires denial of self. It's, it's one of those things that is like, do we really have to? Is fasting is kind of optional. It's only those things that Muslims do. It's like one of those things for intense and like overly committed Christians. It's one of those things that doesn't really apply to me. I can be Christian. I can experience God's love and all this kind of stuff without doing this stuff. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I don't know if it, it's just too hard. It's too difficult. It, it demands too much. Now, there's, there's the total opposite side. Now, many of us, we don't like fasting. Many of us, we don't enjoy. We don't look forward to that. But when we look at other parts of the Bible and the things that Jesus says, we're like, oh, I want that. I love that. And this is what this week's verse, today's verse, I would say all of us, we love this verse. So Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, this is what it says. Come to me, all who are labored, heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many of you heard that verse before? Just show of hands. Okay, how many of you love this verse? It's like one of those comforting verses for you when things are hard, things are difficult. I, I see a lot of hands raised. Like this is one of the go-to verses for Christians where we're like, I need, yeah, this is it. This is, my, this is my Christian life. I love this because it reassures me. It comforts me. It tells me that the Christian life, all things are going to work out and I feel comforted. It seems like it's all about resting and kicking back and enjoying and God's love and all this kind of stuff. Now, how many of us, you don't have to raise your hand this time, how many of us when we read this verse, we're comforted for a time or a moment or a couple hours and then Sooner or later after that, things get hard again. And, and we're asking ourselves, God, what gives? What, why? Like, wh why is there this, this, this paradox, this tension between what we see in Scripture, what Jesus calls us to, to deny ourselves, to do things like fast, to, to challenge ourselves, to discipline ourselves, and the, these other verses that talk about resting and enjoying and coming to Jesus and being like a sheep, bah, like a lamb, you know, by streams of living water that he, you know, I find rest for my soul. The gospel is, is and, and I think this is really true of the gospel message, it's, it's a, a gigantic paradox. The, the life of following Jesus is a gigantic paradox. That Jesus on one side calls us to live this difficult and challenging and self-denying life. And on the other side, he challenges us and he invites us to live a life that is easy, is gentle, is lowly. And, and, and I think that's really hard for us to understand because we think that it's all one or all the, all the, all the other. And I was thinking, like, how, how is this true? How is this possible? And, and what, what's a way that we see this in our own personal lives? I, I don't know if any of you have, like, um, like your, your physical body problems. Like, 
as you get a little bit older, you realize your, your, your body just ages, your bones and your joints get like a little bit tighter and everything. And for me, like one of the things that has been happening over the last decade or so, like every couple of years, I realized there's another part of my body that's like, you know, stiffer than it used to be. And I played basketball with a couple of guys uh, last week. Uh, you know, on Sunday, I had a couple, you know, I just played for like an hour and a half. And literally, I was sore for the next three days. Like, I literally could not move my limbs and my arms in the same way. And I was like, what's going on? Like, I used to be able to play basketball for like three hours and the next day totally be fine and I could play again. And I realized like there's something about just my physicality that just no longer the same in the way that I thought it used to be. Now, I look at some other people and I see them like doing crazy stuff all the time. And like my mom is a testimony of this. She started doing yoga about like five or six years ago. And she sent some photos of her doing yoga. And I, I didn't want to show it because it's embarrassing for her. But like there are some positions that she does where she's literally balancing on just two arms. That's it. The rest of her body is off the floor and her head is like, her legs are like above her head. I'm just like, how do you do that? And I'm like, why can't I do that? I, I'm, I'm your son. I'm so much younger than you. And like, I should be younger, more fit, more strong, more nimble, more flexible, everything. But like here, my, my mom is totally schooling me in physical strength and flexibility. I'm like, what gives? And then I realized that she didn't get there just overnight. It wasn't something that she was able to do just by practicing for a week. She had to shift her whole lifestyle. She like drinks smoothies. She eats salad every day. She sleeps early. She practices yoga every single day without fail for at least an hour. And, and I'm like, I don't got time for that. Like, I'm a millennial, but I ain't drinking no green smoothies every day going running on the promenade. You know what I'm saying, right? Like, there, I don't have time for that. Sorry for those of you who do that. <laughs> but I realized, like, it's this paradox. If I want to live that easy, flexible life that I see my mom living, then it's going to require what? The discipline, the time, the self-denial, and the difficulty that it requires in order to get in that kind of shape. And that's the tension that so many of us feel. We want this. I don't know if you want to do yoga where you know, your legs are over your head, but we want this easy, nice, restful life in Jesus. But what we don't want is we don't want the discipline or the effort that goes into that kind of lifestyle. And that's the challenge. That's the paradox that we face. And that's why many of us, we don't want to fast because it's hard. It's difficult. But we want the nice, easy, comfortable life that Jesus promises where he says, I'm going to give you rest. And what I want to share with you this morning is that you can't have just one or the other. Well, you can't have just this one. But you cannot only have this easy, nice, restful life. In order to get that kind of lifestyle, you have to follow Jesus. You have to be willing to deny yourself. That's the paradox. It's only when you deny yourself, you, you say, Lord, I'm giving my whole life to you that this restful life is possible. Fasting is just one way as we're going and kicking off this fast. That's what we're going to share this morning. If there's one thing I want you to remember, is that following Jesus is only possible is if you live with Jesus' lifestyle. Following Jesus is only possible if you live with Jesus' lifestyle. And Jesus' lifestyle is not always appealing, not always what we want to do. But that's what it requires. And there's two things I want us to share with you uh, of what Jesus' lifestyle requires and what Jesus' lifestyle must be. Jesus' uh, lifestyle must be, number one, revealed. And number two, it's got to be reciprocated. It's got to be revealed and it's got to be reciprocated. So hopefully you've turned to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to read uh, just verse 25 to 27. And again, uh, mobile app, there's some notes that you can follow along. So go ahead and check that out. I'm going to read verses 25 to 27. This is what it says. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except for the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So we're talking about how Jesus, his lifestyle must be revealed. So anytime something's revealed to us, that means, you know, we're going back with this theme, witness. We are witnesses. And the only way that we could be witnesses is something is revealed to us. It's not something that we, we got. It's not something that we discovered or we found on our own, but it's something that has been shown to us. It's something that has been, dis, you know, displayed to us. 
Now, for us to be able to see how this works, when we see verses 25 to 27, I think we need a little bit of context. So I'm just going to bold type and show verse 25. There's two phrases that I think will require us to see some context to understand how this paradoxical life, lifestyle of Jesus is revealed to us. So if you look at verse 25 on the screen, uh, those two bolded yellow parts, it says, at that time and that you have hidden these things. Now, anytime Jesus or the authors of the Bible use ambiguous pronouns, like ambiguous pronouns are things like that or these or this, right? Like um, the only way you're going to know what those refer to is if you look at context. Is if you look at what happens before or after whoever says that phrase. Now, if we look at the context of this passage, we're in Matthew uh, chapter 11. This is in the middle of Jesus' ministry. And there were several speeches that he gives. A lot of scholars will divide Matthew into five main discussions or discourses, things that Jesus speaks about. And he's educating his disciples. And, and the discourse in Matthew 10 and 11, right before this passage, is one of the most difficult and scary passages in Scripture when it comes to following Jesus. Well, let me give you a little peek at that. Context of the passage from Matthew 10 and 11. Matthew 10 is all about the demands of discipleship. So right before he says, come and, and I will give you rest, what does he say? These are the demands of following Christ. All of chapter 10 are the demands of following Christ. And this is Jesus speaking. It's not Mark saying these things. It's Jesus speaking word for word. Demands of discipleship. I'm just going to give some verses here. I'm just going to summarize. I'm not going to read the whole thing. He says this. He says the disciples must be what? Sent out as sheep amongst wolves, bringing nothing with them on their journey. It's going to be a life that's hard. It's difficult. You, you are to take nothing, and you're, you're fully dependent on Christ. You're fully trusting in Him. Second thing, the disciples are going to what? They're experiencing hatred, persecution, and physical harm. How many of us are like, yeah, sign me up for that. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want persecution. I want hatred. I want people to hate me. Third thing, he says, that disciples should not fear those who could kill the body, but who cannot kill the soul. I mean, some of us are like, yeah, yeah, I don't want, I don't want to fear people who could kill the soul, but are, you, want, you, want to, you want to interact with those people who are trying to kill you? You want to interact with people who are trying to physically harm you? Fourth thing, uh, he said the disciples, what, what should they be doing? They should not be expecting peace, but a sword. They should not be loving family more than Jesus. I'm just summarizing. Some of you who know these passages, you might know what those passages are specifically saying. Like maybe after the sermon, you can actually read through all of Matthew 10 and see just how dramatically Jesus says this. So you shall not love your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, nor, nor anyone more than me. Those are tough words. We all love our family. But Jesus is saying, you've got to love me more than that. Fifth, he says what? Taking up your cross, losing your life for Jesus' sake to find life. I don't know how many of us, we want to lose our lives. You want to let go of everything that you have just to follow Jesus. Anyone want to go to Thailand, summer missions? Students? Woohoo! All right? Okay. Any of you want to move there indefinitely? What happened? No, we don't, we don't want to. But these are the demands of discipleship that Jesus talks about. It's like, it's like war. It's like battle language. And then Matthew 11, right before this passage happens, uh, Mark, or Matthew gives us this whole list of responses to Jesus' uh, explanation of what the demands of discipleship are. People's response to difficult teaching. John, he's suffering in prison. He's like, are you the Christ? Are you, are you, <laughs> like, are you sure? <laughs> like, Jesus, are you sure that you're the Christ? Should we wait for someone else? Because he's like, Jesus, I'm suffering. Jesus, you know, your demands are so extreme. Like, are you actually the person that you say you are? And then Jesus then criticizes people, this generation, for not receiving John the Baptist, for not believing in Jesus, because they were like, you know, uh, John the Baptist is this like super, you know, insane person who's like only eating like locusts and honey. And Jesus, they're saying he's a drunkard. So they were criti criticizing him. So they were rejecting him. And then lastly, Jesus denounces the cities that did not repent, 
even after he did miracles. So, so pretty much Matthew's painting this picture of Jesus giving this discussion saying, discipleship is hard. It's really difficult. And a lot of people are rejecting this life of discipleship. It's not popular. And right after that, at this time, Jesus is saying, in light of all those things, in light of how hard discipleship is going to be, and in light of all these people rejecting Jesus and not following after him and not wanting to follow him, he's saying, at that time, he's saying, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, yet you have hidden these things, these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Now, what are these things? These things could be the cost of the discipleship that we just saw. Or it could be the lack of repentance, the ability to know who God really is, to see how worth it is to follow Jesus in spite of the difficulty that it might be. Or it could be a combination of the two, which is how you can actually live this radical life, receive Christ and follow him, even though it's difficult, but yet receive this rest that Jesus is promising. I, I think it's all of them. I think it's, 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 again, that paradox. For us to actually experience this rest, you have to receive Jesus for who Jesus is, for who Jesus says he is. You have to concede that this life of disciples is going to be hard. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated. You have to give up your life. That people are going to reject you. People are going to not want to associate with you. Other people are not going to follow Jesus as you are. And that's part of the ball game. But yet, is when you do those things is when you can actually experience rest. When you do those things is when you can actually experience this gentle and lonely heart. When you experience those things, this is when you can actually come to Jesus and actually know who he is. To experience this rest and this easy yoke requires us to realize Jesus is the one revealing it to us. Now, there's two ways of thinking about Jesus revealing this to us. Like, there's many, there's many of us who are like, oh, Jesus revealed it to people and and it's all about grace. It's all about, because we didn't do anything to receive it, that Jesus is saying all these things and he's benefiting us, not because we did anything for him, but because he did it for us first, right? He, he lived this difficult life for us first and now we're recipients and now we get this rest because the cross has given us life, right? The cross has given us forgiveness and even though we fall short, then we can now live with this hope of having this relationship with Christ, but it could also be revealed in a different sense where it goes beyond our understanding. It goes beyond our natural understanding of how the Christian life, how life works. It goes beyond our understanding of what we thought Christian life would be. It, like, don't raise your hand. How many of us, when we first became Christian, we thought our lives would become better? We thought our lives would become, like, more peaceful, we thought our careers would take off. We thought that our relationships would become healthier, stronger, all that kind of stuff. Whatever, you, just, you name it. Name an aspect of your life. We thought our, our Christian lives would become better. And how many of us, we feel like it hasn't been true? Because Jesus didn't promise a better life here. And what, and what we naturally think, we think things should become better. We, we think that life should become better. But what Jesus might be revealing is saying, your life might not look or might not come out the way that you expect it to come. He's revealing a different life, a paradoxical life. He's saying, your life is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to demand a lot from you. And it's only when you accept that. It's only when you receive that, paradoxically, that I give you true rest. It's a different paradigm of thinking. Now, how, how do we... How do we see this lived out in our lives? L let me give some examples because this, this is still like very high level. How do we see this paradox lived out in our lives? The reason why Jesus has to reveal this to us is because we don't think naturally his way. And there's two ways we don't think naturally his way. Number one is that we tend to minimize the difficulty and cost. We minimize obedience. We minimize suffering. We minimize these things in our lives that we don't, wanna, we don't want to deal with. Like, we're, we're, we're always attracted to those sermons that is all about Christ's love. Christ died for you. Christ loves you. He cares for you. Come to Jesus. Come and be with him. Come and settle in his arms. We love those. Why? Because we feel, feel comfortable. And what do we end up doing? We minimize sin. We minimize our, our, our fallenness. We minimize 
obedience. We minimize the cost that is required to follow Jesus. We don't want to think about those things. Why? Because we want life to be comfortable. We want life to be better. We think that following Jesus is going to give us a ticket to this perfect life. And I don't know about you, but I won't like mention any names, but I'm sure that there are many of us, we follow those Christian celebrities who like they, they, they see, oh, they're Christian and they're famous and they're wealthy. Why can't my life be like that? We would love those kind of lives. Why can't? Oh, we have this rich, rich Christian auntie. I got to focus on my career, do all this kind of stuff, and then I could live that kind of life. Got to focus on my thing. But obedience, servanthood, discipleship, like, yeah, I know it's kind of there, but those are not the things that we're naturally. We minimize sin, our conviction of sin, and, and the, the, the life of obedience. Now, on the other side, some of us, we don't minimize those things, but we maximize our own efforts and strength. Because Jesus is saying the revealed life of a disciple is something difficult that you cannot do it on your own. But we're like, yeah, we can. Yes, we can. Of course we can. And that's where we get legalistic. That's where we start thinking like, I got this. Like, fa okay, fasting, who, that's easy. Vegetarian, who, who, who cares about vegetarian? I'm doing all water from day one. All, straight up water. And the, all y'all who are doing vegetarian, you don't eat, you're, you're a weak Christian. And we're very legalistic, pharisaic. We're judgmental of other people. We think that we got this. And that either fuels our pride and we think that we're better than everyone else, or when we fail, we get really insecure and defeated and discouraged. Why? Because we're maximizing our strength, our own ability, our everything. And I kid you not, like this is something that I think so many of us will struggle with when we go through this fasting. Like, you might not feel proud. You might feel more on the insecure side, but it's still part of that maximizing our own ability. It's, it's not, we're not humbling ourselves saying, Jesus, oh, you're the one revealing this life to me. We're saying, no, Jesus, I got this. And it really comes out when we start, like, rules. We start uh, trying to figure out the line of what we can or cannot fast from. You probably have some, uh, those of you who have fasted before, you've probably heard this before, this kind of question like, oh, is, like, if someone's fasting liquid, is, is kanji liquid? That's a legit question. Is kanji liquid? But you know there's different types of kanji too, right? You know, there's that, like, really thin, like, kanji that's just, like, white water. And then there's that, like, really thick, good kanji, like, you know, pedan soyo, right? Like, that's really good, like, the, the, the sliced pork and like century egg. Oh, that was, it was so, oh man, it's so good. And I've indulged in it during the fast more than once. Okay, so <laughs> pastoral confessions. Like we start, to, we start to figure out like, where's the line? Like how close to the line can I get without crossing that line? And we make it all about the rule so that we can protect ourselves saying, I'm still within the boundary, but getting what I want. Are you following me? We're, we're still all about what we can get. We're still about how, how much we are able to fast. We're not really thinking about what is it that Jesus is revealing to us in our weakness and our inability to follow his demands of discipleship. And some of, this is the difficulty. Some of us, we are so like comfort-driven that whenever we think about fast, like, oh, I, really, I'm, I'm I can't fast. Uh, I'm just going to do three meals a day, no meat. Uh, but, you know, pork, uh, fish I don't consider meat, so fish is okay. And you don't, you don't challenge yourself. Why? Because it's all about you. It's all about comfort. And, I, and to you, I would say, you gotta, you're not, Jesus is revealing the demands of discipleship to you, and he's saying you're so comfort, comfortable in your life that you're, it's all about you. You're not really fasting. And then on the other side, we have people who are like, I'm just going to do water. I'm not even going to do water, no water. <laughs> Nothing for 11 days. I, I really feel like you really have to hear, like, the voice of God to do something like that. Like, that, that is, if you just do it because you're proud and you're legalistic and you're trying to challenge yourself for the sake of challenging yourself, then, then you are just, fool, that's foolishness. That's not faith. And, and so we go to either extreme. And Jesus is saying, that's not the revealed way that I'm, 
I'm asking you to. Follow me. The demands of discipleship, it's hard. It's something that you cannot do on your own. It's nor minimizing your own sin, your own lack of desire, your obedience, your comfort, nor is it maximizing your own ability. It's that, that, that central place where you can say, God, I really can't do this on my own, and I need you. I need you. I need you to reveal to me how I can get through this. It's not just fasting. Fasting is just one example. But God, I need you in my life. I can't do this without you. I mean, just briefly, like, this is something that I struggle with all throughout my Christian life. Like, I really feel like the way that Jesus came and brought me to become a Christian was his revealed, way, the, a, a totally unnatural way of thinking. When I was a first-year student in university, like I was, I, I didn't grow up Christian, and a lot of my friends were Christian, and you know, I was part of community. And I, I, at some point, I really admired the Christian life. I wanted to become Christian, but I really didn't feel like I was worthy to become Christian. I wasn't good enough to become Christian. I wasn't strong. I wasn't prayerful enough to become Christian. I didn't know the Bible well enough to become Christian. I didn't love people enough to become Christian. And Toward the end of that year, as I was doing LCG and reading the Bible and hearing the gospel over and over again, finally came to this point, and I really believe God led me to Christ in this way for a specific reason and purpose. I was having a conversation with one of my life group leaders, and they were just asking me the typical questions that people get asked at baptism, right? Like, do you believe you're sinful? You know, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and died for your sins? Do you trust in him? I was like, yeah, I believe those things, and, you know, not... Like, I still had some questions, like scientific, all that kind of stuff. But I was like, I know I need it because I, I know how broken my life is. I know I need a Savior. And I, I, I think that this, this Savior that is written about in the Bible is probably the most plausible Savior that there is compared to any other religion. Because all other religions say you got to work hard to become like God. But, you know, this Savior is someone I need. But I still felt like I don't know if I can really commit my whole life to him because I, I know I'm going to fail. I, I know I'm not going to be good enough. I know I can't do this on my own. And that was my natural way of thinking that I got to be somehow good enough in order to be presentable before Jesus. And my life was really well, and we had some more discussion, and I'm just summarizing it. And she was like, well, you might actually be Christian already. I was like, huh? Like, what are you talking about? Well, she said, well, you admitted you're sinful. You admitted you need Jesus. You admitted that you believe that Jesus actually has died for you, and that's the only way that you can have some kind of peace with who you are and living forward in this life, and you want to follow him. Now, those things that you felt like you had to do on top of that, like getting good at reading the Bible and praying, all this kind of stuff, those are important things, but those are not requirements for you to actually trust in Jesus. And I was like, wait, 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 no, 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 I didn't believe in Jesus. I was like, let me take it back, you know, like, rewind. But I think that was the best way that I needed for, to come to actually know Christ, because I realized I cannot take credit for coming to know Christ. It's not about me. It's not about what I could do. It was Jesus revealing himself to me. He revealed himself to me through his word, through LCG, through community, through all these kind of things. And somewhere along the process, I can't, I can't, I don't have like an exact moment, but somewhere in my heart, I began to believe those things. And I realized Jesus is the one who allowed me to believe those things. That yes, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. I'm going to feel inadequate. I'm going to feel like I can't do this. But it's with Jesus as his lifestyle and the way that he comes to me that I'm able to have faith that somehow that I could live this Christian life. And this is exactly the Christian life. And I, it's still hard as a pastor. I still feel inadequate. I still feel like, God, I, I don't know if I could really do this. But that's the gospel, is that we don't feel like we can, but Jesus says you can because of who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who reveals that to us. And that's exactly what fasting is. I know some of us are like, I don't know if I really want to fast. It's so hard. I love food too much. I have this hot date coming up this week, and I don't know if I can skip that meal. Or I have this really difficult project coming up where my kids are running around, and I need energy in order to, you know, chase them. But that's the gospel, right? Saying, I can't, Jesus, I cannot do this. I can't. I cannot do this on my own. And Jesus is saying, I'm revealing to you a different way, a way that doesn't involve your own ability, a way that doesn't maximize your comfort, He's saying, I have a different way. And possibly, maybe fasting is a way of saying, God, I'm dependent on you. I think some of us, we really need Jesus to reveal himself to us. And he is. And we need to respond. And the way that we respond is not only that Jesus' lifestyle is revealed to us, but we need to reciprocate his lifestyle. Jesus' lifestyle needs to be reciprocated in our lives. We're going to continue on and read verse 28 to 30. 
This is what it says. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, this is the verse that we all love. So it's like, yes, finally. It's all about receiving. All right, come on. Not so interesting. This verse, as Jesus is, you know, this verse that we think is all about receiving, ironically or paradoxically, there's three commands, three imperatives. Imperatives is a command. So it's something you got to do. As Jesus is beckoning us to have rest, what is he saying? You got to do something. You got to respond. You got to reciprocate this lifestyle that I'm modeling. What are those three verses? Come, take, and learn. You got to come to Jesus. You have to take his yoke upon you, and you have to learn from him. We're going to look at these three verses, uh, these three verbs. We're going to look at the first one. Come. It says, Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden. There's three options of who is he talking to? Who are these people all who are uh, under this burden, this, this heavy labor, this, this heavy ladenness? Couple, couple, it could be, could be people are like physically exhausted, physically burdened out. Like in that culture, you know, a lot of people were uh, uh, farmers, right? They lived on the land. And so physically they could have been exhausted. Physically they could have been worn out. And many of us, we might feel that way like, man, Working in Hong Kong is so difficult. It's challenging. It's tiring. OT all the time. Second possibility is that they could be spiritually exhausted. And many commentators will say that Jesus, the reason why he says heavy laden, so he was contrasting it with the Pharisees. Because he criticizes the Pharisees later in Matthew, I think it's chapter 23. He says, you know, don't listen to the Pharisees because the Pharisees are the ones who are what? Putting all these heavy burdens on people with all these laws and rituals and extra instructions and rules that people just cannot, cannot stand up under. And he was saying, yeah, maybe it's for those who are spiritually exhausted from these legalistic rules that all these Pharisees have. And the third possibility is that those who are just burdened by the demands of discipleship that Jesus outlined back in Matthew chapter 10. I think all are possible. All are possible. It could be physical. It could be the spiritual legalism. It could just be the weariness of just following Jesus. That's so difficult. And, and to all, he's saying, to all of you, to all who are heavy laden, to all who are burdened, who all who are laboring under this, this, this difficulty, this, this discussion, is I will give you rest. How? He doesn't explicitly explain right there, but when he says, come to me, he says, come to me. It, it echoes that time when Jesus was speaking to the disciples. Remember when he was beckoning people says, come and follow me and, and see, see for yourself. He's inviting them into his life. He's saying, look at how I live. He says, come and see how I live. Come to me. Come and live with me. Come and walk with me. Come and, and follow how I, how I live, how I minister to people, how I eat, how I sleep, how I spend time with the Lord. And when we look at how Jesus followed and how he came to, to God the Father, it's very instructive for us and in how we come to Jesus and how we come to God ourselves. We can come in the way Jesus comes to the Father as we look at a couple verses here. A couple verses here. Luke 4. I'm not going to read all of it again, but just summarize it for us. Luke 4. Jesus is, uh, we come to Jesus. Jesus tempted in, alone in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He went alone by himself. Matthew 14, 13. Jesus withdraws to a desolate place after hearing about the John the Baptist. Luke 6, 12 to 13. Jesus goes to the mountain to pray by himself. Before he appoints the 12 disciples, Luke 22, 39 to 44, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, he's crying out before he goes to be crucified. He's, and he leaves his disciples a little bit farther away, and he cries out to God alone by himself. Uh, Isaiah 53, this is the prophecy of the Messiah, of Jesus. And it's the prophecy of Jesus being what? Silent and still before his accusers. He's not fighting against them. He's just being silent and still before them. And then Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 63, Jesus remaining silent before the high priest. They're accusing him, and Pilate's like, what do you have to say to your accusers? And he didn't say anything. He was silent. He was still. And in Psalm 23, this is not Jesus, but the psalmist is what? In stillness before him. And, and God is laying him besides these, these still waters. 
And then we were to summarize the ways that Jesus came to God, the way that Jesus beckons us to come to Him. I think it can be summarized in three words. And this is something that we, we really want to emphasize throughout this One Desire Fast. This is actually going to be mirrored in our devotional for the first six days of our fast. We're going to be talking about six S's. And the first three, that as we look at Jesus' life, we realize it comes out right in His life. There's three things. First is solitude. Second is stillness. And the third is silence. It's this idea of pulling away, being by yourself, being still, not, not hurried, not busy, not, not, not inundated by all these other things. And it's not only a physical solitude and stillness, but it could be an emotional. It could be a mental one. I, I don't know, for so many of us, we're so like inundated. We're so uh, there's so many inputs into our lives, people saying things, advertisements all over us, social media that's screaming at us to do more things or to hurry or our bosses or our, our work or our studies, all demanding more of us. And Jesus is saying, maybe you just need to learn to be still. Maybe you just need to learn to pull away. Maybe you need to learn to experience some silence in your life because that's how Jesus did it. You need to learn to reciprocate that. And I, I think it's so difficult for, for so many of us to embrace this. And so many of us are, are so uncomfortable with silence. Like audible silence or digital silence. Like so many of us, we're so glued to our phones. Like anytime we have any free time, what happens? Scroll, scroll, scroll. And, and it's just become habit. It's just become some second nature. I, I don't know if any of you have ever checked, like uh, at least on iPhone. I'm sure Android probably has it too. Like there's a, there's a what is it called? Wake, raise to wake. And then you, it'll tell you how many times you got a notification or tell you how many times you unlocked your phone. I don't know if you, you, you want to check that. I mean, don't check it right now. You might get you shocked. But in a given day, it'll tell me, tell you how many times you opened and unlocked your phone. And I was shocked when I looked at my number. It said something like within a 24-hour period, it was like several hundred. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I should have massive biceps by now, right? Every time I raise my phone, every time I do that motion, right? I should have giant, but I don't, I'm sorry. You know, there's, there's it, it's just amazing, like how many times we just naturally pick up our devices and we don't even think about it. And some of you are doing it right now. I see you. Because <laughs> it's what I, I'm, I, I know. Like, it's okay. Sometimes sermons are really boring, which is fine. Other times, you know, it's just because we're so we're so. It's become such a habit that we don't even think about. It. And because we don't even think about it, we're so inundated with our devices that we never have time for silence. We never have time for solitude. We never sit still before the Lord. Less. When was the last time that you just sat down somewhere in a quiet place? and spent time with God. When was the last time that you didn't touch your phone? You weren't thinking about work. You weren't thinking about, you know, all the things you had to do. You weren't thinking about your assignments. You weren't thinking about that person that you like. You didn't, you didn't think about anything. It was just you and God. It's just a sweet time with the Lord. We don't have those kind of times. Why? Because our culture tells us that you got to do more, 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 more. Hurry, 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 hurry. And I mean, Hong Kong, like, I, I, I'm guilty of this, man. I walk like 10 times faster than I used to. And I'm one of those impatient people. If someone's standing on the left side of the escalator, I'm like, Ngoy, like, get out of the way. I got somewhere to go. And like when the you know, MTR doors go, what is my instinct? To run through them, you know? Like, I got to catch that train. Why? Because I want to be, you know, three minutes faster than what I was planning on. And our culture is just inundated us with this idea that faster, better, you know, more is always better. Hurry, hurry is always better. But when was the last time you got in, you're you're shopping at Park and Shop or Welcome, and you got into the longest line? And you didn't pick up your phone, and you just watched people, and you saw how hurried they are and how stressed they are, and you felt bad for them because you're totally at peace. And you're like, I got time with the Lord right now in line waiting, and I could pray for the cashier, and I could pray for that other person who's stressed out. When was the last time you held the door open for a couple people because they're really stressed out and they're moving on to whatever that they're going to do? Like, we don't have this because part of it is culture. 
and we got to be counterculture in some ways, but part of it is because we ourselves are so pressed and so hurried that we never have time to live as Jesus lived. We don't have time to reciprocate the lifestyle that Jesus lived himself, that he would constantly pull away, he would constantly withdraw, he would constantly be still, he would constantly sit with the Lord, with God the Father, to be the person that he was, and that's how he did ministry. That's how he lived his life. And so many of us were like, man, ministry is so tiring. The church demands so much, and I, the demands of discipleship are too much, and I can't, and I, there's no way that I don't have time. Well, I'm wondering if it's specifically because you're not living the lifestyle that Jesus has lived, has called you to live. And that's why you're constantly burned out. That's why you're constantly hardened in your heart. You don't feel like God is with you. It's because you're not living the lifestyle that allows you to be with Jesus. All of us want that kind of lifestyle, just like I wanted that yoga life. But we're not willing to put in the kind of lifestyle that Jesus is calling us to live. <clears throat> not only does he say come, he says take and learn. He says take and learn. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lonely in heart. It's interesting that he uses this word yoke. A yoke is, uh, there's a photo of uh, cattle under a yoke, and I just wanted to show a picture because it's not a, a word that we commonly use. And it's that piece of that harness that goes on top, sometimes made out of wood, sometimes other materials. But literally, uh, cattle were fastened to this large harness, and the harness was fastened to some kind of load that they were pulling, whether it was like a wagon or like a plow or something to help the farmers in growing plants and crops and things like that, or carrying things long distances. Now, the reason why Jesus uses this yoke illustration or analogy is because what he's saying is all of us have some kind of yoke. All of us are burdened by something. Now, the question is, what are you burdened by? What, are, what do you have on your shoulders? You can choose a difficult yoke or you could choose an easy yoke. And actually, these yokes that were made for cows, they were designed both to put the cows in submission, right, so that they would be going in a certain direction, in a certain path and trail, and so that they would actually be evenly yoked so that they can go along together. But it was also a way to make sure that the cows were pulling in a way that was comfortable and, and painless. And many of us, we don't realize that the yoke that Jesus is trying to help us understand is he's saying, my yoke or the burden I put upon you is a painless one. It's one that's easy. It's one that's light. It's one that is gentle compared to the yoke that everyone else will put upon you. And this is the challenge for us, is if you're yoked in the wrong way, then you're going to experience a lot of pain, a lot of disappointment, a lot of discouragement in your life. It's not that you will choose no burden. It, it, Jesus is not saying you can have no burden or more burden. He's saying you have to choose which burden you're going to, you're going to live. Are you going to live according to the burden of the Christian life, or are you going to live according to the burden of the worldly life. And we have a choice. And for Jesus, yes, the, the burden that he gives is the cost of discipleship. It's the, the challenge of you might be hated, you might be persecuted, you might have to give up your life. But in giving up your life, what is he saying? He's saying you're going to experience rest. You're going to experience the joy of following Christ that this worldly burden will not give you. Some of us are still younger. I, I, for those of us who have children, who have lived lives for a little bit longer, you know that there's so many things that advertisers in this world will try to tell you, like, oh, this is how you're going to live your best life. Right? Like, in, in the advertisements, they always put, like, these celebrities with these products, like, oh, if you, if you use this product, then you're going to be like the celebrity. Your life is going to be wonderful and amazing and awesome. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be healthy and prosperous. How many of us, we tried that product and it didn't work? How many of us, we bought that phone and it didn't make our lives that much better? Whether it's Apple or Android, doesn't matter. How many of us, we, we like, this is the self-help industry, right? The self-help industry takes all these principles and say, hey, if you follow these principles, it's going to make your life better. And temporarily, it might improve your productivity a little, a little bit, but does it increase your happiness? Does it make your life exponentially better? Does it solve all your life's problems? Not unless the gospel is there. And Jesus is saying, life, no matter what, is going to be hard. But 
if you follow the lifestyle that Jesus lives, then it's going to be worth it. And you're going to be able to pull the burden that Jesus gives us. He says this, interestingly, just a chapter before this, Matthew 10, verse 39, he says this, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What is he saying? The world is not going to offer you anything. But if you lose your life, if you say, I'm willing to take Jesus, your yoke, no matter how difficult it is, he's saying that's where you're actually going to find true life. That's where you're going to actually find true rest. That's where you're going to actually find true joy, true peace, true hope. And you might not believe it until you actually begin to reciprocate the life that Jesus has given to us. I, I know many of us, we struggled with this a lot because we're like, God, I've, I've tried that a little bit and I, I've done this before, but I don't, I don't know if I, if I can actually live this out. I, I've been burned before. I've, been, I've struggled with this before. And even for myself, like there was, a, there was a period of time, especially when I was younger as a Christian, like I, I really wanted to avoid legalism at all costs. And a lot of my friends, a lot of my peers were saying like, you know, living this church life and doing the things that my leaders are telling me to, like, it's not worth it because then you're just going to get legalistic. You're just going to turn out like one of those church people that you know, are judgmental and condemning and all this kind of stuff. And along the time as I was growing and I'm like trying to navigate that balance and trying to not be legalistic, trying to live a radical life for Jesus, trying to do my devotions, I realized that there's no way that I can avoid legalism. There's no way that I could avoid my heart and my issues that come out. There's no way that I could, I could eliminate judgmentalism from my mind and from my heart. The only way that I could actually work through those things is by what? Confronting them. And it was only until I confronted them that, yes, I, okay, those of you who know me in my life, I'm still judgmental, right? I'm still legalistic in many ways. I'm, I'm not far from perfect in many ways. But being able to confront it, being able to walk through it, being able to discipline myself to say, God, I, I want to go through it because I believe it's worth it, has actually helped me more than anything else be able to live more free from legalism, more free from judgmentalism, more free from comparison than I've ever been than if I were to avoid it for the rest of my life. And I think this is the, the challenge and the struggle that many of us have when we say, is following Jesus, is trying to do the things that he's calling us to do worth it? And we're like, man, I've tried it before. I've tried before and I've done these things and it really hasn't turned out the way that I wanted to. And I want to encourage us that maybe, possibly, if it, 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 what Jesus is trying to say is you have to go through it. You have to walk through the pain and the difficulty and the discomfort to actually discover what it means to experience that joy and that, that life that comes through the gospel. When you realize that it's when I fail and when I can't do it and when I do get legalistic, I come before God and say, God, forgive me. God, I'm sorry. God, I can't do this. God, I, I, I fell short. And it's in those sweet moments that God is so much more precious and so much more intimate and so much more just lovely and then it starts to melt your heart and you begin to be like, oh God, man, I'm, I'm just as messed up as everyone else. I'm just as broken as, as everyone else. And, I, that, and it drives me to say, God, I need you that much more. God, I want your yoke that much more. God, I want to follow you that much more. There's no other way to follow you. And I want to give some ways for us to yoke ourselves to Jesus. And some of us are like, okay, kind of see that. I don't know if I'm fully convinced, but I want to give us a couple of ways that we can actually tangibly yoke ourselves to do. We can learn from him. We can learn his, from his ways. It, it, it's, it's really a matter of how do we see Jesus live and are we informing ourselves and are we disciplining ourselves? Are we living in the lifestyle that he's called us to live? The first way is you've got to be in scripture. You have to be in God's word. You have to know who Jesus is, what he said, how he lived, what he taught, what did the Old Testament say about who Jesus would be? And that's going to give you a whole fuller picture of who Jesus is. I want to encourage us, like, let's do ourselves. Be faithful to reading God's word. Now, if you're here to say, okay, I'm going to do this fast, but you don't spend any time in God's word, then how is God going to speak to you? Yes, God can speak audibly. God can do whatever he wants. God can show you through circumstances. But the primary way that God speaks to us is through his word, is through scripture. That's how he teaches us what it means to follow him. 
That's why the word is so important. That's why we, we encourage all of us to read our Bible on a daily basis. That's why uh, on Sundays, the primary like, component of Sunday celebration is what? His word is the sermon. You have to fill yourself with scripture. The second thing is Sabbath. Now, many people have different views of Sabbath, but, you know, it was instituted by God, you know, when he created the world in seven days. On the sixth day, he finished. On the seventh day, he rested. And it was a model for us. Not, you know, part of it, it was rest, but part of it was just to enjoy and delight in God. How are you going to get to know God if you don't follow the, the, the format or the trend that God follows? Now, does it have to legalistically be literally 24 hours in a week that you don't do anything? I don't know if we want to be as stringent as that. I don't know if I subscribe to that. I, I definitely do work on Sundays. I'm working right now, right? But for us, like how many of us, we actually set aside an evening, an afternoon on a weekend to say, God, this is just for you. This is just to delight on you. I'm going to spend some time in prayer. And, it, you know, the Sabbath have to be fully just prayer by itself. No. Could be things that you enjoy, things that refresh you, things that connect you with God. Go hike, go see nature, go see the ocean, go see the mountains in a way that helps you to be like in awe of who, who God is. Maybe it's exercise because it helps your, your, your body to feel refreshed and it gets your mind free so that you can think about who God is. There are so many ways that you can connect with God and just enjoy Him. But so many of us were so busy that we're not willing to live the lifestyle to say, God, I want to pull away for some time. And yes, actually committing to Sabbath means that you're going to have to say no to other things. So many of us, we want Jesus plus our lives. But Jesus is saying, no, you have to live just my life. It just has to be my life. And third thing is supplication. Supplication, I, I, some people think that supplication is just another word for asking. It's not just asking. Asking is one component. But supplication really has the connotation of being desperate, of being humble, of, of being hungry, of being, of being weak and saying, I need you. Like, like if any of you have uh, had an experience with drowning or maybe you're not actually drowning, but you were in the water and you were panicking and you were scared and uh, you were like, I don't know how to swim. Like, what do you do? You cry out. You're like, help. Like, I, ah, like someone save me, right? Or, you know, I don't know if you're, your mouth's underwater. Of course you can't do that. But you have that kind of mindset. You have that attitude. <laughs> And supplication is not just saying, God, please give me this dream job that I want so that I could live comfortably in my life. That's not what supplication is about. That's not what fasting is about. And I, I don't want to discourage us from fasting for things that we would like in our lives. Like many of us, we, we're praying about direction. We're praying about decisions. We're praying about different things that we'd like to see. But it shouldn't be about us primarily. Our, our way of asking, our way of supplicating our prayer request before God is saying, God, I need you in my life. Not I need these things in my life. Not like I need this job in my life or I need this grade in my life. I need you more than anything else. Our desire has to be God first and foremost. And so when we ask God for God, that's where we're reciprocating Jesus' lifestyle. Every time he went to pray, what did he what did he ask for? He asked for more of God. He said, Father, I need you. I need strength from you. I need you to follow you. When we fast and when we pray, we're asking for more of God. We got to make things about God rather than the things that we want for ourselves. That's the kind of lifestyle. That's the way that Jesus lived. It wasn't about himself. It was all about God's will and his purposes. And it's only when we live this lifestyle of coming to Jesus taking his yoke on us, learning from him, that we're going to be able to say, yeah, he is gentle, he is lowly, and his yoke is easy, his yoke is, his burden is light. And then we begin to live in this, this totally different way of following Christ that is so difficult, demands so much from us, but yet at the same time gives us so much joy and peace. Remember in Matthew 9, verse 14 to 15, this is what Jesus said or sorry, the disciples of John came to Jesus saying this. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. What is 
Jesus saying here? Saying all this stuff about following me, about fasting, about denial of self. What is it really about? Ultimately, it's, 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 it's about longing for Jesus. He's saying, when he's speaking about the disciples, now because Jesus was living on earth at that time, he was saying, when, when we're with you, when I'm with the disciples, they don't need to fast. But when I'm gone, we need to fast. Why? Because I'm no longer with them. So they're fasting. Why? As a way of longing for Christ. It's a way for us to long for him. And that's what I'm hoping and praying that this whole next 11 days is all about. It's our longing for him, our hunger for him, our desire for him to say, God, I cannot live this life. I cannot follow you on my own. I can't. That's the gospel. I can't. But Jesus, you're the only one who can enable me to follow you, follow hard after you, to love you, to serve you, to experience the joys of what it means to follow you. Because paradoxically, it's only when we lose our lives that we can actually experience true life from Him. That's why the one thing for this morning is that following Jesus is only possible is if you live with Jesus' lifestyle. It's only possible if you live with Jesus' lifestyle. I just want to give us a couple of next steps. All within this umbrella, I've been trying to weave in this whole idea of fasting as we, as we talk about this passage, is that we're, we, we got to commit to fasting during the One Desire Fast by doing two things doing two things. Just first is just coming to Jesus, and second is taking and learning from Jesus' yoke. That's it. Let's just come to Him. Let's come to Him this week. I, I want to challenge us to incorporate some solitude, some stillness, and some silence as we're fasting this week. You have to make some time to come to Him. Now, this is a challenge for some of us. I, I know some of us are going to be doing one meal. Others of us are going to do like no meat or vegetarian or you're going to do alternative things. One thing that we always say is if you have like medical history, eating disorders, that you, you really need to be careful before you consider a food fast because we don't want that to trigger some past history of things that were really unhealthy. Talk to your doctor. Talk to someone else who is medically you know knowledgeable about that. But come to Jesus like, if you're going to take some of those meals out, then don't fill it with other stuff. Some of us are like, oh, great, I could skip a meal. I don't have to cook and spend all this time. I could do more work. And that defeats the whole purpose of fasting. Purpose of fasting. You're not coming to Him. You're coming to what? More work, more hurriedness, more busyness. So if you're going to say, I'm going to do one meal a day, then the other two meals that you're not eating, what should you be doing? Being still, being silent. Being with Jesus, take your Sabbath. Make that time as time that you set aside for Jesus. I was talking to the leaders yesterday and I was challenging them like, whether you're a girl or a guy, if you had a date with that person that you're like, that's my dream date, that's my dream spouse, dream significant other. If you had a date on your calendar with that person, would you miss it? Would you sleep in? and forget about it? Someone's like, oh, I would. Okay, I'm not talking about you. You wouldn't. You would set like 10 alarms so you can make sure you wake up for that time. You would, you would do whatever you could to make sure. You would be early. You would be like 30 minutes early. Not like Sunday celebration coming in like 30 minutes after worship. You would be early and you would be prepped. You would be clean. You would shower before that. You would do whatever you can to, to be like on time, in person, ready to spend time with that person. Now, why can't you date God like that? Why can't you set aside a time, a chunk of time to say, God, this is my time with you because you're the most important person in my life. I always tell Erica, you're number two. No, sorry, she's number four. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then <laughs> Erica. She's like, okay, I guess I can't beat God, right? So... Like, God should be the most important person in your life. So let's, let's, let's live that way. Let's set aside time that we spend with him and actually say, God, this time is reserved for you. You can do whatever you want as long as you're incorporating some of those principles of solitude, stillness, and silence, Sabbath, whatever, whatever you want that is helpful for you to connect with God. And then take your yoke. Take and learn from Jesus' yoke. Make sure scripture is a part of that. Make sure you're reading God's word. Make sure God's word is a part of that. Make sure that 
you're actually praying, supplicating before him and saying, God, I, I need you. There should be this humility, this dependence on God. It's not just like, okay, God, let's chill, let's hang, whatever. But it's like, God, I need you. And some of us are like, well, I don't, have, I don't have that attitude. I don't have that kind of humility. And you're like, and remember, I think we studied Mark a couple weeks ago. Remember the, the father who had the paralyzed or the, the, the demon um, uh, possessed son. And what did the father say? He says, Lord, I do believe, but help me on my unbelief. That's, that's supplication right there. Saying, God, I, I can't. I don't have a humble heart. I don't feel like I need you. And that's how much more I need you, God, because I don't feel like I need you. Give me a heart that says I need you. Let's come before him this week. Practically, as we fast together in community, let's encourage one another. And I, I believe that this fast is going to be transformative for some of us. We might not get what we want. We might not get what we're specifically praying about. But what, what I do believe we're going to get is more of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.